we can be our worst critics and we limit ourselves more than anything. And in that same vein, uh, I think that we sometimes will purposely sabotage ourselves for success because we don't believe that we should be able to be successful and win. And we actually feel better about finding the excuses as to why we can't do something. And so it will be, well, you know, it's like that, that's a really hilly race. And I live in, in a flat state. Like I, I can't do a hilly race. No, you can. You can actually do a, a hilly race. Like you're, you're okay. You can find a way to do everything. And I always share the story of even when I was, was considering uh, taking my ultra running more seriously and, and really started dreaming of, of doing it professionally. Um, my very first race that I ran, my ultra was a 50 mile race and I'd never run on the trails. Um, I was actually terrified of running on trails. I was really afraid of animals. I was afraid of, of people hiding in bushes, like all the things in my mind that, that, um, caused a lot of fear. The majority of my training was on a treadmill and I had two little kids too. My kids were like one and two years old. So I think that, um, being able to tell an athlete, first of all, there is always a way, uh, for you and you need to find it because your journey is specific and unique to you. And so, um, so much of your life has to do with where you live, um, where you, where you come from, what your schedule is like, who the close people are in your life that you need to take care of, uh, what your responsibilities are. But regardless of that, none of those things should be the excuses as to why you want to do something or why you want to pursue a dream. Never make those things excuses, just find a way. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and this is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. People who are living with great intention, doing hard things, scary things, and driving forward from a passion that comes from within. A common thread that we have seen amongst our guests over these almost 300 episodes is a commitment to never give up. No matter the challenge along the way, no matter what things may look like on paper, we have seen time and again that people who are living with purpose just keep going. I am so excited to introduce our guest today. As for BJ and I, this interview has been on our hearts for a few years now. With patience and an unrelenting trust in timing, <laughs> we feel blessed to be sharing the mic today with professional mountain runner Sally McRae. Sally is a world-renowned trail runner, lifelong competitive athlete, coach, mom, writer, and businesswoman who ran her first ultra at the age of 30 and turned pro at the age of 33. She has run some of the world's greatest ultra trail races, including Lake Sonoma 50, North Face Endurance Challenge, Western States, UTMB, Tarawera, and most recently... She completed a 10-year dream to win the Badwater 135, which she did just last month. On paper, this woman blows many out of the water, but what has held our attention over the years is her gratitude, her honesty, and the graciousness with which she repeatedly reminds us all that we matter, our dreams matter, and what sits on our hearts has purpose no matter what. Sally McRae, welcome to our show. Thank you. Man, you're going to make me cry. That was such a sweet intro. <laughs> Thank you so well, much. Yeah, I mean, you're just, uh, obviously, we've been doing our due diligence and prep for the podcast, but we've been following you for years. And, you know, those those words are very much 
true. You know, that's what has grabbed and held our attention is, um, you know, how you articulate your experiences, how you speak about the challenges in your life. Like you've had dark times, you've had lots of high highs. And um, so it's all truth. It is 100% truth. And I'm glad that you're open to receive it. Thank you so much. (laughs) So as you sit today on the other side of this 10-year dream, what have you been pulling away from, you know, the experience as it's marinated and, and really become a part of who you are now? You know, it, it did take me a little while. I think being a, a busy um, mama, it, it always takes a little bit longer to think about everything that, that transpired. I mean, I feel like I, I came home and um, we like went on vacation back to the desert and it was just, you know, it was full blown, uh, just kid time and, and kind of moving forward with just like family schedules. And then when my friend Sarah, who is actually on my crew, um, and a very talented, incredible photographer, um, she sent me a whole album. It was over 1500 pictures. Um, I just like started crying cause it, it, she captured things that I didn't remember. She, she told a story through the photos and really allowed me just to, um, and it was in the evening one night. So I think my kids were like watching a movie or something. And I, I think at that point I was really able to take in the whole experience. I think more specifically just the, you know, the journey that I had, I had been on to get there, but also sharing it with my crew, especially my husband who has never crewed or paced me ever, um, was something that was really special. And, you know, as, as I'm now two months, um, no, not even, not even two months, (laughs) not even two months removed from the race now. Um, you know, and, and like most goals that I've set for myself, I think every time when I achieve something, it reminds me that, um, that I can keep going and I can keep reaching for, for new goals and new dreams. I mean, that's, that's one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes is you're never too old, um, to dream a new dream. And, and I think that that is so important in life that even though I achieved this thing that I've been waiting to do for so long, um, I still have so much inside of me that I want to do, but every time that I'm able to achieve something, it gives me just a little boost of, of confidence of, of what is possible and, and, uh, of things to come. So I'm just enjoying this, this downtime. I'm still training and running and everything, but really enjoying just a break from the, the rigors of training and, and really just trying to find those moments of, of reflection. I'm, I'm still doing a lot of writing and, and, and writing down all the things that I learned. I feel like there was a lot um, from the training to, to race day. So when you look at a dream that's 10 years in the making, you know, um, so many people may have two years in been like, it's not happening. Like, it's just, it's too far out. It's too big of a dream. Or maybe next year I'll start working towards it. Or, you know, when I get this new job I've been applying for, I'll be able to work at home and I'll be... So a lot of times dreams can feel... Um, Well, I guess underneath it would be like this kind of like, we're not worthy to achieve our dreams. Mm. So that's kind of one aspect of it. But as far as like delaying dreams, you know, like, oh, I'll start, I guess it's the classic, like, I'll start on Monday. Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So where do you gather the the patience, um, you know, to realize a dream that's a decade in the the making? Mm Mm-hmm. 
You know, it's really, um, I, I love this question, especially right now, because I was editing a, a chapter um, last night. It was, it was, and it was the chapter, it was from a story in my life that actually directly relates to this. And, um, and I read it to my kids and they were like, mom, is that true? Like that's, that's re- that really is what happened. Um, but the whole message behind this particular chapter is how something that had happened to me when I was a little girl actually prepared me for 20 years down the road. And how so often um, when I look back on my life, that has always been kind of just the theme of, of my life. And as much as I never wanted to embrace it, I realized that embracing it was was really embracing just who I am in this journey that I'm on. I feel like we definitely live in a world that's, um, you know, we want fast results. You know, you think about when the internet first came out, right? It was like Juno.com and it was like dial up. Like you'd, <laughs> you'd wait for like nine minutes just to like get a web page up. And like, that was exciting. Like finally getting on on the internet. Now um, everything needs to be quick and instant. And I think that in some ways it's, it's a bit detrimental to the upcoming generations when all they've known is, is instant gratification and instant results in, in everything. But the greatest accomplishments and, and dreams and, and things that I've been able to do in my life have taken a really long time. And it isn't always because um, I kept failing or just like I couldn't get it right. Um, it was also just embracing that what is a, a true life and, and life can be complicated, can be messy. It's, it's beautiful. It's mysterious. It's, it's always changing. And, you know, I, I had started out as, as a, um, as a soccer player. I mean, that was like my greatest dream. And I really got to a place, um, when I was in high school where I was being sought out by colleges all over the United States. And I was going to be the first one to go to college and my family. And I had this dream of, of being a professional athlete, you know, I was going to be a pro soccer player. Um, and I had, since the time I was young, I had worked really hard for that. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to try when I'm, you know, when I'm 15 to try to get a scholarship when I'm 17. I mean, I, it was uh, something that I had started training for for many years so that by the time I was 16, 17 years old, um, you know, I had had several years of, of dedicated, hard training under my belt. And I think what ended up happening was my whole world was flipped upside down for two, three, four, five years. And everything that I had been working for, I had this season of like, was that just for nothing? Like, did everything that I do is, was that for nothing? And it, of course we can't see the finish line or what's around the corner of life. Like we're not born with life manuals. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that I hit a point in my life where it was like, I'm either going to choose to complain and be upset and even act out on this by choosing bad choices for myself because I'm so angry and I want the world to pay for it type thing. Or I'm just going to keep moving forward and and do what I know to do best. And that was just work hard. Um, That's all I kind of ever knew to do. And so I think that um, as the years rolled on, like these little glimmers of hope uh, started popping out where it was like, oh, wow, like I never saw that coming. Like that's, that's, that's amazing. Like I can't believe that, um, you know, that I'm here now. I, I was able to travel the world and, and I would be in places where something that I had done years before was playing out in, you know, in a little orphanage in Ukraine on the other side of the world. Uh, and I, I started to look for those things. I think if we are um, living a full life, then we're looking for the miracles in every day. And, and I truly believe that our lives are filled with that. If, if we look for them, 
Uh, it's easy to look for things to complain about, but it's also very easy to look for the beauty and the blessings in our life each day. And so it was just a conscious decision. Um, I wasn't always great at it. It wasn't something that I, I did every single day, but little by little, I just kind of started changing my my thinking. And so the dreams that I started dreaming up for myself, even in my 20s and my 30s, um, you know, they were very, they, they were all rooted in a very childish, curious, wondrous um, part of, of who I was that I never wanted to let go of. And, um, you know, that ultimately is, is kind of what kept me pushing forward was just this, this little hope. Mm. I like the little, I like the word little because it's, <laughs> It's repetitive every day, right? If you if you keep doing little things every day, like eventually mm-hmm. it's all going to stack up and add up to big things. Um, yeah, and all too often we get caught up into the okay, well, this it's it's all or nothing. Like it's this big thing, like bad water. Okay, so now you did bad water. So now you would expect, okay, well, now you can just like <laughs> chill and hang out. But no, you're back to training. You're back to a routine. And and I think it's a uh, it's powerful to have that. Um, let's call it a habit or routine that you've created that says this activity brings me joy. And it doesn't matter to what extreme, but it's something that I do and it's part of me. So I don't know anything else except to you know win a big race and then get back at it because I know there's something ahead. Mm-hmm. And so as a coach, because you're a coach as well, how, how do you meet athletes with that... Um, with that mindset of, of building up to this one big race and then it shuts down afterwards without continuing on with that momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I think we saw this so much, um, in, in 2020, a, a lot of heartache and a whole lot of heartbreak when, you know, people had trained so hard and they weren't able to, to, you know, stand at the start line. Um, but also, um, in, in the same, vain are athletes that, you know, they do train all year for that, that big race, um, only to have a DNF or an injury sideline them, or just to have a really bad day. I mean, a bad day on a course is, is common for every athlete. It doesn't matter if you're pro or not. Um, you know, we were in the year of, of the summer Olympics. And so I think a lot of us saw that on display quite a bit. I mean, some of our favorites that we thought were just going to crush and, and take that gold medal, um, never even made it to the final round, never even, um, you know, got to walk out, you know, in, in front of this, you know, onto the stage and, and do what that we've all known they're so great at. And my hope when, even when I was watching that and I was, I was sitting watching, my kids are both athletes and, you know, I even said to them, I was like, I hope that you, you remember this. There's a lot of records that were broken, but there was a lot of people who hold records that they themselves were broken. And it's showing us that, you know, all humans, uh, we are all the same in the fact that we're imperfect and um, we can never predict how something is going to play out, no matter how well prepared we are. Um, The only thing that we are able to control is how we react to whatever um, comes at us. So whether that's, you know, feeling overwhelmed by pressure or, or an injury or just, you know, not being able to perform at, at your at your best, the way that you respond uh, when things don't go your way, and the way that you respond when you are triumphant, um, you know, they they should both be in similar form, and and it should always be in gratefulness because you we get to grow as athletes. I think that 
the opportunity to learn and grow is an invaluable thing that's often overlooked. And I believe that, um, you know, I had two different experiences at Badwater in the two years I ran it. I, I was extremely disappointed the first year that I ran it. And um, to the point where I thought, well, I don't, I don't know if I could ever have it in me again to do that. Um, but I knew deep inside that it was really my pride that was talking. So um, as athletes, we have to remember that when we fail, it's a part of our pride that is actually really hurting because we know that, oh, family and friends knew how hard I trained. You know, I said that I was going to do good. I said this is the year that I was going to get a PB or that I was going to get in the top 10 or, you know, and I said all these things out loud and I just failed and I just feel dumb and, and my pride is hurt. Um, sometimes those are the very things that, that turn people away and don't keep them coming back. But instead, if we can take whatever the result is, whether we win or we, we fail at our goals miserably, if we can look at that and say, well, you know, how can I grow from this? What was, what was I supposed to learn? What was the lesson here for me? Because the truth is, is that every single person will be in that same spot someday. You know, every single person is going to be asking themselves when things don't go their way, um, well, this just isn't for me. Or are they going to ask, you know, I, I want to grow from this. I, I want to learn. So I think that's probably the most a powerful thing that I that um, I can tell athletes, regardless of what level of training they're at, is every uh, race experience you have is an opportunity for you to be better, even if you win. Mm, yeah, you had said something in there about responding to you know really like the the failures and the successes mm-hmm. um, quite similarly, right? Mm-hmm. And, and to me that makes me feel like it's um it's like that neutrality right where we're not we're not getting too high high we're not going too low low although we may be feeling the pull to go to those places but we're we're rested somewhere in the middle where we're taking the experience in in a way where we can learn from it where we can recognize that we're stronger for it that we're wiser for it and i'm assuming um You've learned this through experience. And so was there a, you know, a failure or a success that you remember was a turning point of like, you know what, I got to respond to this. And it might not even have been in sport. I need to start looking at how I can be more masterful with my response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, I, th- I think that's just been um, a, a lifelong journey for me. I, I really love to parallel, and I I share this a lot in social media, but I love to parallel my life as an athlete with just life in general. Because as much as I love being a professional athlete, I love to run, I love training, um, there's so much more to life. And so I really see that that, um, being an athlete, having the opportunity and the gift to compete, regardless of what the sport is, is actually um, one of our most powerful platforms to also communicate with the world around us and learn things about ourselves and and connect with people in in the world in that way. And so I think that... um, you know, I, I had learned just over and over again that, and I've made a lot of mistakes. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes in responses to people or situations where I realized like, okay, what is, okay, what does being mad do? What did I get out of that? Nothing. And, but it's a very, it's a very human reaction. I mean, every person is capable of, of anger and, um, and there's nothing wrong with being angry, but what are you doing with the anger? Like how, what's the action that's, that's then coming out of that anger? 
And then in, in the same form, um, am I then going to be more fearful of trying again next time? Or am I just going to give up and not try at all? Um, and then on, on the flip side of that, it's just then not stopping uh, it's, it's halting the belief in yourself, you know, and we see this, especially in youth sports, um, which is so important, I think for kids to be a part of some sport in some way, especially team sports, but you see kids that they, you know, they fail, you know, they, they screw up and they either get laughed at by their little teammates, their five-year-old teammates, or, um, or you just, you see them so embarrassed and they just don't want to try again. And so then, who who's speaking to that? Who in their life is speaking to them in that moment of failure and fear and not wanting to try again? What are the words that being said? And, you know, we, a lot of the self-talk that we do starts when we're children. And, you know, and this kind of plays into to a lot of like sports psychology, but, you know, we see kids that grow up as great athletes that many times cannot perform on during competition because they have these mental blocks. And sometimes you'll find that those mental blocks, they go back four or five years because of something that happened and a bad experience they had on the court or something that a parent said or, you know, or even sometimes an injury. And this, this is true for adult athletes too. This is true for pros and, and recreational athletes. The mind is, is so, so powerful. And so, you know, I've, I've been an athlete pretty much my entire life. Um, and so a lot of this has been just trial and error and really understanding that um, on one hand, I, I've lost so many people in my life. So I'm always very aware of the fact, I always have that at the forefront of my life of I get one shot at life and I don't know when it's going to end. And sometimes it's cut short for some people. And so I'm either going to sit here and complain and be all upset and I'm not going to try and I'm going to care so much about what other people think or... I'm just going to get up and try again and see what happens. I'm going to be honest with myself and say, yeah, I actually didn't train that as hard as I probably could. I, I skipped a whole bunch of these types of workouts. I didn't eat my best. I didn't really recover that well. Um, you know, I, I could have done better in this area or this is actually my weakness and I don't want to admit it. And, you know, so it's, it always comes back to um, looking in the mirror and being honest, being honest about the fact that, hey, as much as I want to be a superhuman, I'm not. Um, and every day that I'm on earth, I know that I can always, uh, get better, but yeah, it was through a course of many trial <laughs> and error that I, um, you know, I just started to change my mindset and just my whole approach to training in, in general. So that's, um, wow. So yeah, taking ownership, right. Taking ownership <laughs> of our choices, right. Like this is where the rubber meets the, the road, like being able to switch it. So it's not pointing the finger out. It's pointing the finger, you know, mm -hmm. right back at yourself to, to see where you can grow. Right. Like that, if you really want to get honest with yourself, that's how you grow. Um, but you mentioned something that we really love to talk about, which is mindset and, uh, mm -hmm. mental training, um, <laughs> <laughs> the well-trained mind. Um, how did you, um, let's see, how, how, where do we start here? So I'm assuming at one point you realized like your mind was untrained or that you, you were fighting for your limitations, we like to say. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, how did you go along the path to understanding that there's something more than just the physical aspects of, of getting the best out of yourself, that there's something upstairs that we can really work on? Well, I think uh, I, I, as, as a young girl, um, I was known for being really tough. I mean, I just, I was, I, and I, my mom was amazing. We had five kids in my home. 
my dad was pretty violent and um, he took that out a lot, quite a bit on me. And what I learned as a, a starting from for as far back as I can remember, um, and I think it's just maybe the way that I'm, I'm made, but I always kind of had this feeling of, um, you know, I need to protect my sisters. I need to kind of like stand up and, and, um, and be the tough one. And so, from a young age, I made that decision to not cry. And it is, you know, when you look back now that I'm a mom and I have two children of my own who I just, I, they are my world and my life and my joy. They're such a gift. But I, I think for a, a child to, to choose that I'm going to not cry and I'm going to be tough because I don't want to disrupt the house or I need to be the strong one for my, for my siblings. It is, it's sad, um, for one, but you know, that became a very big part of who I was. Um, and I was, I was known for being a very strong kid and I was just anyway, I was, I was pretty athletic growing up. I was always really strong and I was fast and, um, I played tackle football with the boys. I was very much more of a tomboy. Um, I loved wearing boy clothes, even cut my hair like super short. Like I just, I loved just sport and I loved that I was tougher than the boys. And there were a few times too, when I was playing soccer, that the city that we had lived in, there weren't enough girls to play soccer. So I played on boys teams and, you know, I made the all-star team. And I remember being so excited when the dads would be screaming at their sons, you can't let a girl beat you. How can you let a girl beat you? And I just loved that. Like I just relished in that. Um, I had this very, this very edgy bitterness uh, about me that I don't know where it came from, but I was, I was really fiery and I took that out a lot on kids, um, when I played soccer. And so I think that, uh, you know, I kind of have always rested on that. You know, I went on to play um, soccer in college and kind of the same thing. Like I was really, uh, really tough. And I, and, and people would say that you grow up your whole life with people saying, you're so tough, Sally, you're so strong. Like you can, you can take anything. And I was tough physically when you looked at me and I was just tough mentally. Um, and that, that's what I would tell myself. The, the wonderful thing about ultra running, it doesn't matter how tough you are, uh, it strips you to your core. It strips every single layer down. It wears you out. I mean, you just become so mentally and physically exhausted, especially in the, in the longer races and especially in a race like Badwater, um, that it kind of forces you to look at yourself and, and ask yourself, now tell us how tough you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, at my journey as, as, a, as a pro ultra runner, um, I started to kind of build this relationship with myself, like mentally, where I was like, dude, what's wrong with you? Like, you should be tougher than this. You should push through this. And I did sometimes. And there was some, my first 100 mile race, I finished on a fractured leg. Probably shouldn't have done that, but you know, I'm tough. I can, I can run on, on that right into crutches. Um, you know, I was out of the sport for a little bit because of that. And there were a lot of races and, and training cycles where I just pushed through pain because I could, because I, I had endured so much as a child in my whole life um, that I just felt like I was made for this sport and I could kind of endure better than anyone else. But the reality is, is that um, the, so much of that toughness was actually rooted in bitterness. It wasn't rooted in anything that was good. It wasn't rooted in something that I could stand on and be proud to spread to other people. Um, and so I think that I, 
you know, I just came to terms with that one day. It was like, I want to be someone who, you know, is, is honest about where my strengths come from. And if I'm honest about where the strength comes from and something that I'd be proud to tell my children, I'm not just going to teach them to be bitter. I'm not going to teach them, well, if somebody puts you down, then, you know, just tell them they can F off and, you know, flip them off and like stay hard, you know, like that was not, I wanted something more than that because I believe what is impacting, especially after our lives are done and gone, is how people remember you and how, how you treated them, how you made people feel. If someone were to ever say my name and I was only known as just being this bitter, tough girl, um, I'm not sure I really made a, a, a powerful impact in that way. And so um, it has been kind of like a, a long uh, journey for me and just a, a deep conviction in my heart that, you know, what if instead of pretending that I was so tough, that I just said I really wasn't as, as tough as I thought I was, I'm just human. What if I was actually more brave than I was tough because anyone can be brave. Anyone can be courageous. Um, it doesn't matter how physically strong you are, what your body looks like or what you've done in the past. That's a choice. Um, you know, the very definition of courage, you know, you think about, it's just knowing what is in front of you and choosing to keep going. And so that has, has become my motto actually for many, many years. And I kind of hung on to that and kind of pushed that out uh, into the social media world while I was training for Badwater. It was like, you know, you can, it's okay to feel weak because um, we all have those moments. They're very human. It's okay to be, to feel that fear and to feel pain because we are actually humans that were made to feel. That's, that's the most like normal, natural thing. You're supposed to feel all those things. But then the most powerful thing is what you do with it. And I, I wanted to be able to say that I could feel everything that was in store for my personal journey and that I knew what to do with it. And the one thing I needed to do with that was to keep moving forward. And I think that that can encourage the youngest, you know, the youngest little athlete to maybe even somebody that is in a hospital bed and that's ill. Um, you know, I'm not going to go walk into a hospital room and tell someone that they just need to stay tough and they just need to grit it out because they're strong. No, it's, it's okay to say like, this sucks. This hurts. This isn't fair. You know, this is, but be brave to start each new day. Be courageous to embrace whatever is in store for you as you sit in this hospital bed. If, you know, if there's, if there's breath in your lungs when you wake up each day, there's a purpose for your life. And so I just really wanted to, um, to really expand and, and dive into that messaging and dive into that kind of mindset over, you know, Sally So Tough's Tough as Nails. I mean, that was one of my nicknames was Nails, so. Yeah. Yeah. What have you learned, if anything, about the power or the quality of, I guess two words are coming to me, like surrender. Like when I think about ultra running and being out in Mother Nature, like you're never going to beat Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. And gent- <laughs> gentleness as a mom, you know, bringing, bringing humans into this world, like there had to have been a gentleness that they brought out from within you. And so, Absolutely. yeah, what have you learned about that? Like I, I can so resonate with the toughness, um, you know, when the, somebody does something to you and you're like, F you, you know, but yeah. It's kind of when you back up and look at it, it's kind of, it's kind of ugly, you know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 um, 
it's not gentle. It's very forceful. And I also think that it's energy sucking. Um, so what have you learned about just the art of surrender and gentleness yeah, in, in life? I love that. I love that surrendering. And, and I, I, I do have to add too. I mean, I, I think I'm always a work in progress in all those things. I mean, I think that, um, and my kids, my kids are so great at balance. Now that they're, they're 13 and 15, you know, they, they remind me, uh, of that too. And they keep track of when I lose my cool. Um, but I think that's, um, you know, that, that idea of surrendering is just, you know, is we all want to have control, um, at the end of the day, we want control of our lives. We want control of the future. We want to, we want to have control and know that things are going to end well, um, that we're going to be successful, that, you know, if I start a training cycle, that I'm going to be stronger and fitter than I've ever been at the end of it. So that when I'm standing at that start line, I'm injury free. I mean, we want that control and we want to know because that's what gives us confidence. Um, and I think I had even shared this at one point on, it was right before I went is right before I raced Badwater, uh, I did a little video and I just kind of broke down my training stats. I, you know, I said I I ran like over two thousand miles, climbed over a hundred thousand feet. You know, it was like X amount of hours in the gym, um, only to learn that I have no control of the outcome. You know, just because I did all that doesn't mean I deserve to have the race that I dreamed of. And we hear this a lot in sports. Oh, you deserve to win. No, I don't. Why do I deserve to win? Is it not every other person that has dreamed of going to Badwater, standing on the start line with me, do you think that no one else trained hard? I mean, there, and, and just because we're all of different fitness abilities and we're running at different paces, um, don't, we de- don't we think that everyone deserves to win, to achieve their goals? And if I believe that, if I really believe that everyone next to me is just as valuable in their goals and their dreams and, and their commitments to their craft as, as I am, well, then I, I can't actually think that the way that I'm going to win is because I deserve to win. And I can't actually even believe that all this work that I put in is going to dictate exactly how this race plays out. Now, sometimes we hear that. Sometimes we just hear athletes say like, I had the race that I dreamed of. Everything went well. It was so smooth. And my favorite is the stars aligned for me. And I'm like, I've never had that happen ever in my life. Like I've never had a perfectly smooth, amazingly stars aligned race. And I used to giggle about that because I'm like, what, how, how are you, how are you aligning the stars? Why aren't they aligning for me? And, um, and so I think that, you know, there's something that we can actually find peace in when we begin a training cycle, we stand at the start line, we know, you know what, today could actually be a super uncomfortable, terrible race day, or this could actually be everything I ever dreamed it to be. But regardless of the two different outcomes, I'm still going to be me and I'm going to be just as valuable as when I started is what I finished. And so therefore, I'm going to race my heart out and whatever comes my way, I'm going to do my best and keep moving forward. That's the only thing that I can control. And maybe doing my best and moving forward is going to get me to the top of the podium. Maybe doing my best and getting me forward is going to have me be the last person to cross that finish line. Um, So I think it's just looking at uh, being so obsessed with, uh, and I, and I, uh, and I actually, Strava just released the, uh, little excerpt that I wrote about this. And I said, I started to become more obsessed 
with how I responded than with my expectations. And, um, and that's kind of how I, I trained. Mm. I would go out and train and put myself in situations and I'd say, all right, so when your, uh, your stomach is totally feeling this way, what are you going to do? What are you going to eat? How are you going to move? You know, when your legs feel like this, what are you going to do? Who are you going to be? It was never like, okay, then we call it a day. It was like, so what then do you do? What then, how, how then are you going to move forward? Um, yeah. I see that. I see that often um, with athletes too. Like I wasn't having a good run, so I stopped. Yes. Yeah. And I've or been I, there before too. Oh, like, it I, just oh. wasn't my day. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, <laughs> I feel like we get onto the pattern of like, okay, well, now this is happening quite often. Like how do we interrupt that process? And the only way to interrupt the process, I believe, is to... Is is to you know build upon what you're saying is keep going like what take the next step okay well what does it feel like okay eventually right yeah. eventually the side yes. stitch will go away the you'll puke yes. you'll throw up you'll get it out and then you'll need to refuel again and and I think um, we're hesitant to have experiences mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I really do I, I feel you know we, we build up and do all this work for races and we put so much pressure on ourselves to have it be the be all end all and we forget that in the experience of putting ourselves in that environment, we're going to, we're going to navigate our way. So I love, I love, and I heard you say that before that, that, that philosophy of deserving to win. Cause I think we've all been there. Like we feel like we put in the miles and the elevation. And then of course it, it's the world owes us, right? Of course it yeah. owes us because yeah. <laughs> we have control yeah. over that, but we don't, we don't, mm-hmm. we don't. Yeah. And I think that's hard too. I mean, I, um, there have been outside of running really big decisions. Uh, and we've all hit the, these crossroads in our life. You have to make a really big decision or it's like this one interview or this one event that you know could actually kind of change the trajectory of your, of your year or maybe your entire life. And it's like your nerves are just like built up and it's like, oh my gosh, I, I hope I either choose right, or I hope this whole thing goes well, because if it doesn't, and I remember sitting with somebody, it was like a a decade ago, um, and I was so worked up. It was, I I can't remember if it was an interview or it was like an event, it was like something, but I was like, oh my gosh, like if this doesn't go right, and and they looked at me and they said, and then what? So let's talk about, let's actually talk about that. It's, it's not going to go right. It is, it is not going to go any way that you wanted it to go. So now tell me, Sally, who are you? And it just really hit me. I was like, no one's ever talked to me like that, like said that to me before. Like, that's so powerful because we put so much value into an event or a thing. And we believe that we ourselves, our very soul is so attached to that that, that we will forever be changed in only a negative way. We don't understand that, hey, if it doesn't go the way that you wanted to, that actually might be the best thing that could happen to you. And I think a very simple uh, Hollywood way to relate to this is, you know, in love stories, right? It's like the guy didn't get the girl. And so um, her whole 
his whole world is like up, turned upside down, but then he meets someone better that he didn't see before that he didn't know. And it was just a better scenario. And it's like, oh yeah, like that. But so often that's how life is. I mean, we, I, I remember, you know, losing my mom at 17. I thought this really is the end of my life. Like, how is there anything good on the other side of this? Especially what I'm, what I'm left with at home. Are you kidding me? And the reality was, is that life actually got worse for the year after that was the worst year of my life. Every four weeks, something terrible happened. And I just remember thinking, this is, this, this is a bad life. Like, I don't, I think this is just the path for me. So I'm now going to expect that everything in my life is just going to be miserable. I'm going to live this miserable life. The reality is now, as I look back, I see that so many of those experiences that I hated, that I dreaded, that just at that time, crushed me, have set me up for so many things that I've been able to do um, and achieve in my life because I was able to either call back on those things or I learned lessons in those times or I was able to understand I can actually go through so much more than I thought or it just allowed me to open up my heart to more uh, empathy and compassion to the people and, and the world around me. So, you know, I, I think that taking in a bad race day um, when, when an athlete tells me like, oh, I just wasn't my day. So I pulled out, you know, it, it, it turns into a really good conversation <laughs> because when we stand at a start line with 5,000 other people are hoping it's going to be their day. Uh, you know, the reality is we are all going on the same course. So it isn't about finding your day. It's about moving on the course as best as you can. So it's about giving your best, not finding when it's going to be your best day, um, because there's very, very, very few of those. And so really it's just communicating with the athlete in a different way. Don't tell me that you, that it was your day. I want you to tell me that you did your best. Yeah. Cause you know, the whole your day and the stars align and mm-hmm. all of that <laughs> lends to this idea that the only thing that's good is that you hit your time or you win the race or, yes. you know, mm-hmm. you place top 10 or whatever it is. But what if we, what if we had a mindset shift where we realize that, you know, that day, that run that we so wanted to be like, I'm just going to go, you know, I knew it was going to be a bad day. I knew it was going to be a bad run. Like I'm done two miles into 10 miles. I'm done. I'm not doing it. What if we just took a breath? What if we zoomed out our view and we said, I'm going to like quoting you, I'm going to get obsessed with how I respond to what comes next and what's next and what's next. And what if we began to see that those may just actually be the best days, you know, like how, how would we shift from results oriented training to process oriented training? You know, wouldn't you think that that would, that would translate to everything in our life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, I think that we, we live in a world where results are, um, they're instant, right? And we, mm-hmm. we also, I mean, we even do this in our training. Uh, it's, it's one of the toughest things to really teach an athlete is, hey, every time you train, that actually isn't a test to see how far you've come. Like you shouldn't be testing yourself every time you train. You're training. 
there's one test that you're going to take. It's the end of this cycle. So I don't care if you get a Strava record every single time you go out and run. Like, I actually want you to hide your workouts now because you're having a hard time with that. Like, I think that the is, it's, look at you guys. Both of you guys are like, totally. Totally. <laughs> totally relating. Right? But so much of that has to do with confidence and being in control. Well, I need I need to control this switch. I need to see that I'm I'm that I'm results that I'm building because I need to make sure that on race day that I'm gonna do exactly what I want to do. And and so the process, accepting the process um is is so powerful. You know, I had an athlete actually a, a couple months ago. Um, she did not perform well at all in a race. It was for her expectations, she did not perform well. She was really, really upset. And um I had been giving her a series of races to do as prep um for one race. And the reason why I had her do that was because I realized that's like so much of what she does, uh her her mind gets in the way. And so I wanted her to train herself for the pre-race day, race day, how you're fueling, like what are you mm-hmm. telling yourself like during this race so that when we do get to race day, the A race, um, that you have had practice in those areas that have nothing to do with your running. And I think that, you know, what we can, we can actually tell an athlete when they've, even if they've had a series of bad races is, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's one race in life And that's the day that you cross that final finish line and you take that final breath. All of these races that we do, because there's thousands of races all the time, there's hundreds of races every weekend just here in California. You know, when we we look at all the races, we can kind of see those as more as checkpoints. You know, this one race that you did isn't, it doesn't define who you are. It doesn't take away any value of who you are as an athlete or even as a person. And you can choose to grow and learn from it and then keep moving forward. And I think that, you know, that kind of allows the athlete to, to take a breath and give themselves a little bit of grace and know that there is so much more ahead. And, I, and even if they do reach it, awesome, you got that PB or, you, you know, you, got, you, you finished in a placement that, that you were hoping for. Okay, well, we're going to build on that now. Like, we're not done. And I've had to tell myself that, you know, like finishing Badwater, it's like, yeah, you work so hard for a race. But that, that isn't it. That isn't all there's that was just a checkpoint in my life I was able to say yeah yeah I did it but there's so much more yeah I always think that uh, our challenges or our accomplishments right are preparing us for the road ahead right so there's something else coming um that bad water has prepared you for so speaking of preparation process oriented um and you've been on the podcast tour you've been talking bad water like <laughs> you're probably talking it in your sleep at this point you've done tons <laughs> of podcasts on it but i'd love for you to share maybe just one epic memory from your preparation for your experience in bad water Mm-hmm. Um, I think one, well, I, I, my husband was able to come out with me a few times to the desert to crew me at some pretty, um, some pretty gnarly spots on the race course. So I, I was able to get on the race course. Um, I started going out there like seven, eight weeks before race day. I was like spent half my time, half a week in the desert and then half the week back home. And, um, so I was always doing that. And for the most part I could, I could kind of do my own thing without crew um, for some of the training sessions I had, but 
there were a few very key workouts that I needed to do and I needed someone to crew me and and just because of where it was in the course, it's kind of dangerous and, and not smart just to go way out far by yourself when it's 125 degrees. So, um, so we were, uh, it actually was really, really funny. It's, it ended up being... I'm not sure if you guys saw the picture. I'm wearing all white and it's like this beautiful sunset, Mm -hmm. uh, the backdrop of the Eastern Sierra. My husband is the one that took that picture. And um, and it got shared thousands of times all over um, social media. But I always tell him, I was like, that is like my favorite day of training because you were there and we laughed so much and I suffered so much. <laughs> that picture, I am, I literally am, I'm dry heaving in that hole. And he's the one that told me, he's like, but you gotta see the sunset. It is so freaking amazing. And so I'm looking at the sunset. I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And I just remember like my eyes just like welling up with tears because I love the Eastern Sierra so much. And this race is so beautiful how you go through this desolate, desert that makes you feel like you're on Mars and then it ends with the in the eastern Sierra which is like one of my favorite mountain ranges in the world and um and we were just gifted with this absolutely magnificent sunset and there's just so many different colors and it was just rich and and um but earlier that day the reason why I needed him was because I wanted to do a really hard run up Mount Whitney Portal Road which is how the race um ends it's a 12 mile 5,000 foot climb and it was, it wasn't too hot at that time. It was about a hundred degrees. And, um, so I had asked him like, yeah, I'm going to head out. You can start driving up maybe like in 30, 40 minutes. We stayed right there in Lone Pine, um, that little main street right there. We just stayed in a hotel. And so, um, he came up and he, he found me and he kind of slowed down and, and check on me and see how I was doing. And so I made it all the way to the top. It was a really hard effort. And they said, all right, um, the second part of my training is is going to be pretty uncomfortable for me, and it's going to start off with me, uh, what I like to call tenderizing my my legs. So I had done this five thousand foot climb, thirteen miles up, and then I ran hard as hard as I could, three four miles down the mountain, which was which is pretty um, steep. And then he picked me up um, about three or four miles down, and then I said, "All right, I'm going to go eat a lot of food. I want to see how my body does when I just eat a lot of like good food." So, and then straight from eating, we drove out, um, into the desert and I needed to run, run, do a long run, um, on the desert. So I didn't really get a lot of, um, rest in between these two workouts. So we drove down to this little, um, it's called Vibras Cafe. If you're ever in Lone Pine, go to it. It's like the hippest, hottest spot in Lone Pine. <laughs> if you've ever been to Lone Pine, you're giggling with me because there's nothing hip and hot about it. Um, but but this place is actually really cool. They make Aussie bowls and fresh smoothies and like gluten-free banana bread. And so I, I got avocado toast. I got this big Aussie mm. bowl and I got a big piece of gluten-free uh, banana bread. I ate all of it. Like my belly was was nice and full. And then we get in the car and we start driving out there. I was like, you know, that was like all really good food. Like lots of my favorites right there. And 
I hop out of the car to go jump in uh, to, you know, start my run. And I was like, oh man, I'm really full. Like that is really full. <laughs> my legs are screaming at me because the, the mountain run I just done, like I gave max effort on that. And I did that purposely uh, because I was trying to assimilate a point in the race. And so I was like, all right, my belly's full. So I'm not feeling too amazing. My legs are completely shot. Um, all I want to do is go lay down and, and just sleep. And, and the, the wind was ripping at this time, like where we were, it was, it was so windy. And so I threw on this little white, um, like jacket breaker and he's just joking with me. Like everything is a joke. And, and my husband, he's been my best friend since we were 18. So, um, we always do have a lot of fun together. And I was like, yeah, I don't even want to joke. And so I start running, I, I start running down the path and he's like pulling up I and mean, there's no one on this road, but he starts pulling up slowly next to me and he's, start, he's trying to tell jokes and he's playing music and he's taking video and, and, um, and so I just remember that whole run and me telling him, I was like, I'm, I'm so sick. I don't feel good. Like, bleh, like just complaining as I'm running, you know, and I had to stop several times. Um, I just stop. There's like two times I had to stop and just sit in the car. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so terrible. He's like, yep. How are you gonna feel on race day, Sally? Like teasing me. Cause that's how, what I would always say. And so, um, you know, as the day went on and as we got closer to, uh, you know, to that mountain range, it just became a really like sweet moment having him out there as I'm struggling and he's just trying to encourage me and he's capturing all this on video and he's, he's laughing with me. And, um, so yeah, I think that was probably one of my, my favorite training days. It was a lot of great discomfort, but man, it ended up being a really key part of training because I ran most of that race in, in complete discomfort on race day. <laughs> <laughs> did you take, um, did you take your obsession with your response into race day as well? Oh yeah. I mean, that was, um, I, I think that was one of my most powerful tools was, you know, and it was funny because so much, uh, weird things were happening the day or two before the race. And, and you could kind of sense even some of the race field being like, what's going on? Because a week before it was like 130 out there. And everyone that does bad water is very well trained and, and, and very well heat trained. Um, you know, no one really goes out there and is like, oh, wow, it's hot. Like no one thinks it's hot. I even feel like that some people like, you better not say that it's hot because that means you're weak, mm -hmm. you know? Like mm -hmm. everyone's kind of walking around like, there's people, like people at the expo, like they're wearing full like jeans and sweatshirts. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right. I see a peacocking over there. Like what's going on? Like everyone's like, oh, it's cool out. But what ended up happening was a, a storm rolled in and it, it rained. We're like, what in the world? Like we got rain twice and it didn't last very long. It was like 20 or 30 minutes, but the wind was just this whirly wind coming from every single direction. And I remember when we, when we were driving to the start line, uh, looking at the 930 wave who was, who was out there battling the wind already. And I remember telling um, Eddie, I had come out and trained so much and I had trained in wind quite a bit. And um, two of the times that we went out there, I ran from the start line 
on the course and the wind was always at my back pushing me. And so I, I would, I would tell Eddie, I'm like, dude, I really hope that we have this wind pushing at our back. And so I thought that's what the wind was when we got out there. Well, once the race started, um, it was very clear that it was not at our back. It was at our face and at our side. It was all over the place. But, um, I think that having trained out there and just really working on that mindset of, I want to respond uh, in the right way. I just didn't let it bother me, but I'll tell you, it did bother a lot of people on race day and, and just passing people and checking in with them. How are you doing? And they're like, I don't know what to do about this, this wind. It's, it's just too much. It's, it's, you know, and trying to encourage like, Hey, we have a long day ahead of us. And, um, but it's hard when you train so hard and then you realize like, I didn't train for this part though. What do I do? Well, that's okay. That's okay. Don't let it be bigger than you. You know, if there's something that's brand new, it's it's actually isn't as big as you think it is. It's just a a little surprise that you can acknowledge and keep moving on. So, <laughs> don't give your uh, don't give your power to it, right? Don't give your power away. Yes, um, because because then you're then you're um, then you're just at a loss. Like you're, and you can't struggle to to find a way. But that the wind is only one thing. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of other things that come along the darkness and, and the and the body sensations. Let's just call it body sensations and yeah. the reflexes that the body has. Um, but I feel like uh, I, that's so appropriate because you know we do this training. Um, let's just say tempo workouts or intervals, or you're on the bike and you know you hit a certain speed. But then race day comes and you have that wind. And so you're still trying to push that speed or push the interval that you were hitting really, really confidently. And it's not, it's not, what's, uh, it's not what's being uh, displayed to you. Like you're not getting or hitting that pace and then you feel frustrated and then you go down the dark hole of like, but I trained. And so back to your point about I deserve, you know, I've done the work, but have you really done the work? And I, and I think... Um, my question is like the specificity um, and to the level of specificity that you've done in your training, um, how important is that? And I, I kind of know the answer, but when, when, is, when is specificity appropriate and when is it um, uh, important to just do the little things consistently all the time? You know, I, I think that, um, I think there's a balance between the two because what, I'd say like from a coaching, talking about like sport, um, from that aspect, I always try to be careful about being too um, heavy about like the actual like race course, like getting on the race course, because there are athletes that that will never be able to get on the terrain of the race that they're training for, or they're never going to be able to... um, you know, they're just on a treadmill because they work mm-hmm. 70 hours a week and they have four kids and it's just like the treadmill is where I get to train. And so if, if I tell an athlete, well, the only way that you can train for this race and be successful is if you actually get on the course and do it, um, that actually isn't true. And we've seen this quite a bit with um, athletes of, of all, you know, different levels who've been able to find a way and I think that that is far more powerful. I, um, I think that so often we can be our worst critics and we limit ourselves more than anything. And in that same vein, 
uh, I think that we sometimes will purposely sabotage ourselves for success because we don't believe that we should be able to be successful and win. And we actually feel better about finding the excuses as to why we can't do something. And so it will be, well, you know, it's like that, that's a really hilly race. And I live in, in a flat state. Like I, I can't do a hilly race. No, you can. You can actually do a, a hilly race. Like you're, you're okay. You can find a way to do everything. And I always share the story of even when I was, was considering, uh, taking my ultra running more seriously and, and really started dreaming of, of doing it professionally. Um, my very first race that I ran, my ultra was a 50 mile race and I'd never run on the trails. Um, I was actually terrified of running on trails. I was really afraid of animals. I was afraid of, of people hiding in bushes, like all the things in my mind that, that, um, caused a lot of fear. The majority of my training was on a treadmill and I had two little kids too. My kids were like one and two years old. So I think that, um, being able to tell an athlete, first of all, there is always a way, uh, for you and you need to find it because your journey is specific and unique to you. And so, um, so much of your life has to do with where you live, um, where you, where you come from, what your schedule is like, who the close people are in your life that you need to take care of, uh, what your responsibilities are. But regardless of that, none of those things should be the excuses as to, as to why you want to do something or why you want to pursue a dream. Never make those things excuses, just find a way. So for me with bad water, Getting on the course wasn't because I didn't know what the course was like. I I I lived three hours from the course and I had already raced it. Um, and hello, it's it's a road race with some climbing. You do you do pass three mountain passes, but um, it's a hot road. So you know you actually can train for that pretty much anywhere. Uh, there's you know heat training is a lot easier to do than altitude training, and so that's another thing that's attractive about it. Even in the winter, you can do heat training um, and assimilate that with with layers and treadmill and running inside and all of that. But I think for me, because I was so uh, hyper focused on mindset it was um, actually a very quiet place for me. And, you know, my everyday life is loud. It's very busy. It's uh, scheduled down to the hour um, every single day, seven days a week. Um, that being able to get away and get on that course, it brought just a lot of peace and a lot of time just for, for prayer and meditation and a lot of race um, envisioning. And that's just specific to me as an athlete. I don't I don't think that, um, you know, I talk to some athletes, they, they like to not know what the course is. I think that's fun. Mm. Like that's so exciting to them. But for me, like I, I'm a very visual person. I, I can remember a lot of things and I knew the course so well that I, I knew where, what certain bushes looked like and what mile marker I was at based on a bush or a certain rock or a cacti. Um, the way the road slanted to one way, I was like, okay, this is mile 68.2. And, and all those cues were so powerful to me uh, because I knew I couldn't control some things, but I could be a, a student of the course. And so that's really what I, what I wanted to do. I didn't, I wanted to 
um, just taking as much knowledge as, as I possibly could. So I would go out there too. It, I'd, I'd watch the weather. And so I would go out when it was 98 degrees and then I'd go out when it was 125 and then I'd go out when it was 112. And if I couldn't find the temperatures that I wanted to train in, I would go and find them. So I would stay in Palm Springs and then in Palm Desert and um, I would go and search out exactly what I wanted to do. And so much of that was just, uh, one, it was a great gift. I mean, it's a gift to be able to do this as, as a career. Um, but I didn't want to miss anything. I didn't want to feel the way that I had felt in 2018 when so much of what was going on was some of it was a surprise and it was, uh, you know, I'd let my, myself down in, in some ways with the way I'd responded it to all. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a, a personal test. It was research. It was, um, wanting to become a master really of that race and be able to speak so candidly and, and thoughtfully about it. Um, I'm absolutely in love with that, with that course. So, Yeah. Do you think your business there is is done or do you feel in your heart you'll be back? Oh, yeah, I, I, I do plan on going back next year because um, I did admit there was three goals that I had for myself. So I, I won and I'm so grateful for that. That was the biggest dream of mine. But um, I did finish several hours later than than I had planned to. And, you know, part of that was just because of what I was feeling um, physically. But I, I think that, you know, it was only... Uh, I, I'd say probably 10, 15 miles even from the finish line, um, my crew was like, all right, Sally, just focus on the finish. Because I was telling them, I'm like, I can't believe how far behind my goal I am. I can't believe that it's, that it's this late already. And they're like, Sally, get to the finish. We're not even, who cares about your time goal? You know, but I, but that is kind of just my mindset always is like, that. that's what makes sport fun for me is like, wow, like we're, we can always improve something. We can always grow and learn and, and, and practice. And um, that's the best part of being a human is that you're not perfect. And so I think that next year I would love to go after those two goals and um, put my hand in the plow again and see what happens. But I do have other things in store as well and other adventures um, that we're kind of working on. So yeah, we'll see how that plays out. We'll see if I get picked again. I mean, I might not get be, it's a big application process and it's a, a board of people that sit at the table and handpick each person. So, you know, they might be like, ah, eh, we don't want Sally back or we want to give her spot to someone else. <laughs> I do think that there'll probably be a lot more applicants than there have been based on even just the people that have reached out to me and some of the other uh, pro athletes that are, that are now hoping to toe that line. So um, I'll be very grateful if I get, if I get picked again. Awesome. Well, we will all be following and, and watching your continued journey and, you. Um, you know, just keep being more of you. We, Aww, we just, we need you. you to be more of you as, <laughs> as um, there's nobody like you, right? There's nobody, we're all mm. so unique and, and I believe that you're on purpose and you're sharing your gifts and I think there's so many more to be unwrapped in the future. So thank you so much for your time. We wow. really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Wow, really, really appreciate the encouragement. That really warms my heart. Thank you so much. 